Preface Reflection is a dangerous pastime. It can lead you to rewrite your past, alter how you see your present, and tempt you down paths you never imagined you would explore. By my estimate, the material in this book has already triggered such hazardous reflection for thousands of people over the past four years. It has triggered significant, and not always positive, career moves for dozens of people that I know of. I myself am one of the victims of this book. I did not set out to write a business book that could serve as an unflattering career retrospective mirror for thousands, help me launch a fledgling independent consulting career, or earn me a reputation as a peddler of slightly evil business and career advice. Those were accidents. It is not yet clear whether they were happy accidents. Part of me still thinks this is going to end in tears. What I actually set out to do was understand why a television show was funny. I found answers that satisfied me by looking back at my own work history and accidentally created a mirror for those wishing to reflect upon their work and life. Around 2009, I had spent about a dozen years earning paychecks from various organisations, large and small. During that period, I never really saw myself as a rebel or iconoclast, perhaps a little combative and insensitive, perhaps a little too blind to turf boundaries in the workplace, perhaps a little too disrespectful towards social norms, especially when out of coffee and in one of my more vicious moods maybe somewhat addicted to figuring out the workplaces I inhabited on my own, instead of taking my cues from seasoned veterans. But not an iconoclast, no. I was just another impatient young person who did not like wasting time doing clearly pointless things, just another young person trying to grope my way towards significant work before Dilbertish cynicism caught up with me. In 2009, all that changed. A television show and an online cartoon conspired to forever alter my understanding of workplaces. The television show was The Office. The cartoon used with permission in Chapter 1 was Hugh MacLeod's Company Hierarchy. Suddenly the mise en place, as Hercule Poirot would have called it, cooked itself into a spectacularly depressing but oddly empowering theory of organisations. The result was the first Gervais principal post on my blog, Ribbon Farm. At that point, I'd been writing the blog for about two years, and it had been chugging along modestly, being the good little blog that could. I had no high hopes for it. It was just a hobby. But when the Gervais principle went viral via the tech news aggregator Slashdot, not only did the blog take off, so did a snowballing process of self-perception refactoring. By the time I finished the series with a sixth and final part in 2013, I had radically reprogrammed my attitudes towards work and life with over 30,000 words of reflection and carved out a new career as a blogger-consultant-independent researcher. The response to the series has been overwhelming and gratifying. I cannot claim all the credit for the success, since it appears that I accidentally pulled off a brilliant piece of timing, writing about organisational behaviour and office politics at a time when popular culture fell in love with a new workplace archetype the sociopath. As the cliché goes, I was in the right place at the right time. I still don't see myself as a rebel or iconoclast, just as someone who can read organisations relatively fluently and act efficiently within them. Before, I used to figure out how to be effective by fumbling around through trial and error. Now, I am increasingly able to deliberately think through problems and situations that I would previously have bumbled through. 
I found that I could get results faster with less wasted effort. I still make mistakes, but not the kind that are a result of political illiteracy or naivete. That ultimately is what this book is about, organizational literacy, the reading and writing of organizational forms. This book is not the only way you can achieve organizational literacy, but it is probably among the most accessible introductions available today, and one that can pretty reliably get you literate, so long as you have a functioning sense of humor about life. Though I have a bit of a reputation as a difficult writer, I have yet to meet a reader who didn't get this series. You can also get yourself literate by reading Nietzsche or William White, close reading shows like The Office or Deadwood on your own, or simply reflecting thoughtfully on your own career history while drunk. I claim no real originality. This is just a cheap and easily digestible basic organizational literacy one-on-one guide written in what is hopefully an accessible and contemporary style rather than impenetrable Nietzschean verse. But there is a cost to getting organizationally literate. This ability, once acquired, cannot be unacquired. Just as learning a foreign language makes you deaf to the raw, unintelligible sound of that language you could once experience, learning to read organizations means you can never see them the way you used to before. Achieving organizational literacy, or even fluency, does not mean you will do great things or avoid doing stupid things. But it does mean that you will find it much harder to lie to yourself about what you are doing and why. It forces you to own the decisions you make and accept the consequences of your actions and decisions. It makes it harder to blame others for things that happen to you. So to seek organizational literacy is to also accept a sort of responsibility for your own life that many instinctively reject. Literacy of any sort gives you the power to recognize and unambiguously label things that the illiterate can easily ignore as noise, fads and bullshit. This power can have very unpredictable effects. You may find yourself wishing, if you choose to acquire it, that you hadn't. So acquiring organizational literacy is what some like to call a mimetic hazard, dangerous knowledge that may harm you, a case of where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. And no, I'm not trying to lend this book a sort of dangerous, badass allure. I've had people actually tell me that this series served as a sort of red pill, blue pill matrix moment in their careers. Some have even shared a lament similar to that of the character of Cypher in The Matrix. Why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? Perhaps the most interesting response to the original post was the accusation made by one commenter that I was being seriously irresponsible by doing the equivalent of making computer system exploits public and accessible to hackers. But over the five years that I lazily wrote the series as I collected dozens of anecdotes from readers, I became convinced that the fears, while real enough, were overblown. While I've had many reports of people losing motivation for their work after reading the series, it appears to have had a positive effect for many more people. Literacy of any sort is a good thing. Organizational literacy is liberal education in the best sense of the term. It increases your freedom by making you more alive to the possibilities around you. To believe that there are types of knowledge that people cannot be trusted with for their own good 
is a sort of illiberal paternalism that is characteristic of insecure dictators. So yes, this book contains material that ought to be considered a mimetic hazard, perhaps. But I believe, unlike Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men, that almost everybody is capable of handling the truth. Sure, some of you may end up depressed or make bad decisions as a result of this book, but I believe that is a risk associated with all writing of any substance. The rest of this book contains the six parts of the Gervais Principle series, as originally posted on the Ribbon Farm blog, with some light editing to remove blog-specific references. Though the material uses the American version of The Office as source material, you do not need to watch the show to understand the series. I strongly recommend that you do, however. It is a thoroughly enjoyable work of television fiction, ideally suited for a couple of weekends' worth of marathon watching. As a special bonus, I've also included a short guide to television shows and movies that will help you practice your newfound literacy skills and a bonus essay on another classic, the 1999 Mike Judge movie, Office Space. I don't believe in tacking on anemic general prescriptions to analytical writing. There are no general formulas for how to turn this material into action. So for those of you who are interested in applying these ideas within your organisations or to your careers, I have a simple consulting offer at the end of the book.